a lot of human suffering actually is caused by the would have, could have, should have, those shoulds, oh. right? I should have known, I should have done this, I should have done that. And we become should heads. So we got to stop shooting on each other because the sense of <laughs> I should have this known. This is a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie. Sharing stories, empowering mindsets. Ryan LaChapelle, Amazing Race Canada brother, avid skier, and adventurer extraordinaire. He, along with best friend Kenneth McAlpine, competed on season five of the Amazing Race Canada as team giver and promptly won the hearts of Canadians. Devastatingly, Kenneth passed away in a hiking accident on August 26, 2019. Ryan is open about how this loss impacted him and how he continues to live life every day to the fullest and channel his giver energy. Ryan is the events coordinator at Red Mountain Resort in Roslyn, BC, but we caught up with him while he was visiting his hometown of Collingwood, Ontario. We had a blast learning more about Ryan, and of course, we also had to sneak in some crazy Amazing Race chit-chat. Ryan is so authentic and passionate. He used some version of the word frother several times, which we hadn't heard before. We figured out its meaning in the context of the conversation, but still gave it a gook. Webster's only gave the bubbly milk definition, but Outback Dictionary, filled with Aussie words and phrases, didn't let us down. Frother means to be completely in love or excited about something, to be frothing over it, as in so excited that you could be literally frothing at the mouth for it. Knowing Ryan, the use and definition of this word makes perfect sense and he is definitely a frother enjoy our conversation it's frothing yeah i can't quite pull that off the same way ryan does but enjoy (laughs) (laughs) you make an entrance (laughs) oh lee did you hear that yeah did you fall Well, my brother's house in his office, so you know I don't know how these, these doors and things work too well. How are you, Ryan? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. So you're on a cross country road trip. Are you going any further, or you're going as far as your hometown, Collingwood? Yeah, I'm just in Collingwood right. Well, I'm in Wasaga Beach right now, actually, at my oh. brother's place. We just got to Collingwood last night, so we're gonna hang out here for a bit. And then me and my girlfriend, Leah, we're going to continue on to Quebec and yeah, visit some of her family over there. I've done this road trip. This is my 13th time driving across the country. Okay. How many hours in the car from Roslyn to Collingwood? Oh, hours. I don't know. Usually it takes like four full days of driving, but this time with my girlfriend joining me, we wanted just to kind of space it out and see some buddies along the way and do some camping and just kind of enjoy ourselves. So we did it in six days. Uh It's usually pretty long, like 4,000 kilometers. So yeah. (laughs) Probably more fun with your girlfriend. Tell us a little bit about her. Her name's Leah, you said? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I met Leah tree planting this spring. Oh, so it's new. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's fresh. Yeah. I didn't expect to meet anyone going tree planting. Honestly, that was like way down on the list but um it turns out you know like half the tree planters are women which is amazing oh, awesome. and our camp was just full of a bunch of frothers and just amazing people in general so oh, yeah wow. we met there and just connected real good and just been having fun ever since awesome how is tree planting in this heat tree planting's insane it's insane at any given time but in this heat yikes honestly like it was intense yeah mm. like it was full on and uh, just a lot of water a lot of electrolytes, a lot of salt, but it was intense. I'm sure that environment probably could potentially bring out, you know, the worst in people maybe. So if in those conditions you and Leia are compatible, then that's a pretty good sign, wouldn't you say? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I mean, she's crazy. This is Leia's like third year tree planting and she's an absolute machine. Uh. Like some days I'd come home and I'd be like, Oh, like I PB today, personal best. I planted like 2,200 trees and she'd be like, so stoked for me. I'll be like, so like, what did you do today? She's like, oh, I, I planted like 3,300 trees. I'm like, what? Like, like you're insane. There's only a select amount of people that can actually do that. And she's like five foot three and just like an absolute Aww. machine. She's closer to the ground. She doesn't yeah. have far oh, to yeah. bend over. 
yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's very sweet that she applauded you before breaking it to you that she kicked your butt. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So you have a very special connection to nature, being out there, being within the trees, planting trees, caring for the earth. What are you feeling now about the forest fires? Oh, man, it's hard. It's crazy. Like ever since I made the move to BC and started living there year round, which has only really been in the last five years or so living in Roslyn. It's crazy. Like I never even really like thought of forest fires just from being from Ontario. A lot of our trees definitely got burnt for sure and are already dead. But I think you gain a whole new appreciation for just doing what you're doing and like trying to revitalize these forests and keep them alive for generations to come. We're 80 kilometers like in the middle of nowhere on the north tip of Adams Lake. Every day in the last week of our planting contract, it just kept getting worse and worse and fires are popping up on either side of the lake. We're getting smoked in. We got evac on our last day of planting. We legit had to leave at like 1 a.m. in the morning and do a 50-person convoy to the nearest town, which was two hours away. Doing tree planting was just a huge eye-opener of how serious Mm -hmm. forest fires are. And, you know, you're looking into the future and like, are they just going to get worse? It's scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you're helping out by planting the trees. Mm -hmm. What have you learned about yourself and about life? By tree planting, being in Mother Nature and working with nature that closely. This was my 20th job I've had in my life. This was pretty crazy. Yeah, I actually wrote all the different jobs I've had since I was like 13 years old. I was going to ask if you started working when you were six, but... <laughs> yeah, I know when I was like 13. So oh, wow. Being a baseball umpire, but... Oh, that's cute. But uh, what did I learn? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like this is easily the most... It feels like the race is like the most physically and mentally demanding thing I've ever done in my life. When you're tree planting, you're getting paid per tree, right? So we're getting paid anywhere between 16 cents to like 32 cents per tree, depending on like the terrain, how steep it is, what kind of terrain you're planting in, if it's like machine prepped or if it's just raw like log, you know, Mm -hmm. I just learned that you need to self motivate yourself every day. And I've never really had a problem with that. But I've definitely struggled a lot with I mean, many of my emotions, but in the last couple of years from losing Kenneth, but just waking up every day, and you're the only person out on the land, you know, yeah, your your other planters are around. But like, if you want to make money, and you want to give her all day long for seven hours, eight hours, like that self motivation, like that fire inside of you that has to come out, Mm -hmm. if you want to succeed at this job. And I just learned how to bring that motivation to myself and bring that energy and just put it out there every day. Mm -hmm. Trees aren't going to plant themselves. Yeah. (laughs) They're definitely not, no. (laughs) So you have alluded to one of the big pieces in your life, that pain, and that big shift in your life. I'd like Mm -hmm. us to go now and talk a bit about Kenneth and his role in your life. So how did you guys get to know each other? We were both from the same hometown, Collingwood, Ontario here. We went to different elementary schools. We both knew of each other at the start because we both skied and we both were in the train park, you know, hitting jumps and rails and all that stuff. And then in the summer, we were also the only two rollerbladers in Collingwood that like, you know, rollerbladed and did jumps and slid rails and rode the half pipe and stuff like that. Like the only two guys. But at the start, like we'd see each other in the park or we'd see each other up at the ski hill. Oh, we didn't talk to each other because we hung out with different crews, right? From Uh. different schools. And we didn't really like each other because we're like, you're too you know, similar. My crew, almost you're, competitive. You know, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah, almost a little competitive for sure. But then it was in high school. We were in the same class. I'm pretty sure the first class we had, I can't remember if it was woodworking or if it was culinary arts class. And then we just got to know each other and we're like, dude, what are we doing? Like, you're freaking awesome. Uh... Like, you're the coolest guy. Like, let's start hanging out. And then from there, you know, we just pretty much instantaneously became best friends and just started doing really everything together. Did you decide to move to Roslyn together? No, it was always a dream for us to move out West because, yeah, we started skiing together and that was always our biggest passion. And I mean, we were so lucky because Blue Mountain was open until, I mean, it still is open until 10 p.m. every single night. So like, you know, we'd finish school and pretty much every day you'd just go up to Blue Mountain. One of our parents would drop us off. The other parents would pick us up at the train park at 10 p.m. It was like a dream. Even out west, you don't really get that in many spots. 
so we obviously bonded huge over skiing and I mean, always the dream and what we talked about in high school was to move out west. And once we graduated, that dream kind of shifted a little bit. I got the opportunity to move out to Banff and work at Sunshine Village. And Kenneth decided to go to the culinary arts school in Ottawa at Algonquin College. So we kind of went our separate ways. I moved to Nelson the year after and went to Selkirk College there to study ski resort management. He was still at Algonquin that second year. And then for the third year, I was in Revelstoke and he was still doing his chef thing. And then it was finally during my second year in Revy where I'm like, okay, dude, it's time. Like you need to come out. And then he came out and we lived together. Best winners of my life. I got to show him what I learned in the last few years, just venturing in the mountains and learning how to ski powder and just learning how to get around and whatnot. And then from there, we took off really. Yeah. Yeah. We lived there and then we lived in Australia for a year together and, and then eventually lived in Roslyn for a few years together. That's so cool how you, your individual passions took you to different places to kind of pursue them a little bit more, but then you ended up bringing those together and yeah, wow, that resort's got to love you guys. <laughs> yeah, totally. He was chefing it up at the Rockford restaurant right in the village, right at the base of the gondola and Revy. And then I was uh, working in the Revelstoke Outdoor Center. So I was doing sales for all of our snow school and cat skiing and heli skiing and pretty much every activity we possibly offered at the resort. Wow. Just living out West, you know, too. One of the best things was like, you know, you have all the international folks that want to come to Western Canada to experience. Same reason you wanted to go. Yeah. So we had, you know, we had Australian roommates, German roommates. It was fantastic. And then, you know, after that first year, that's why we were like, dude, like we're young, like we got to live the best years of our lives right now. Like, why don't we just get a visa and move to Australia for a year? Like, let's learn how to surf. Let's get some jobs there. Let's live in a cool town. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So when and how did the concept of giver come up? Oh, the concept of giver. I mean, you were born with it, obviously, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's been it's been around for a while. I was kind of wondering the same thing a few years ago. I was like, when did I start saying this? Like, when did it all come about? And I figured out that when I was 13 years old, me and my buddy Chris, we had the, our own website. It was active up up until only a few years ago, but it was called chrisandryan.pixel.com, <laughs> and. Uh, we had a bunch of different pages in there. And one of the pages was favorite quotes. And sure enough, like right under my name, my first quote was giver. Exactly. Uh-huh. I spelled it all capitals, apostrophe R with the exclamation mark. Uh-huh. And like, at that time, I didn't even know I even said giver. And then it just kind of took off. Like, I mean, I really, after high school and I just remember like I was working at Sunshine Village when I was 18, like my first year at West. And I was working with a bunch of foreigners from all different countries. And I would always yell giver and like whenever we were skiing or jumping off a cliff or doing whatever. And they fed off it. They're like, what is this giver? And I'm like, it just means give it all you got. It just means like, send it, man. Yeah. Like, go for it. Universal like, language. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they were like, oh, sick. And I'm like, it's a Canadian thing, man. It's like, it's, it's a Canadian saying. It's like, it's the best thing ever. They fed off a huge and a lot of them started calling me giver. And I was just like, yeah, mm-hmm. it became the word to live by. I'm wearing my giver shirt. Uh, there, there's Kenneth. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. And the boys have your stickers on their wall. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, literally at all times, I literally have, there's my wallet. I like, I have giver stickers in the wallet at all times. It's just like. Smart. Wherever I travel, it's like, you know, if I'm in, you know, I was in the skate park the other day, I was rollerblading around and. So one kid was, you know, on his bike and chatting to me and just like super frothed out. And and then I went up to him when he was leaving and I was like, dude, take a giver sticker. He's like, really? Yeah, man. I'm like, do you know what it means? He's like, no, I'm like, just give it all you got. And he's like, oh, wow. I'm going to put it in a special place. And it just like warms my heart, you know, and Mm -hmm. I just like want to keep that going. Yeah, for sure. So you became team giver. How did that dream come up? Compete in Amazing Race Canada. Oh, man. Me personally, I've wanted to go on the show for a while. I used to watch the American version when I was a kid all the time. I never actually watched the Canadian version. Well, until we applied and then I started watching every season. I guess from a lifestyle standpoint, the show is just obviously so exciting and the 
places you get to travel and the challenges you get to do and just like mm-hmm. everything about it is just like in my mind it's the coolest tv show you can possibly be on so yeah. i'm like it would be so cool to be on this show like i've yeah. never really thought of being on a tv show but if yeah. i was to be on any of them it would be the race like it would be the ultimate adventure like yeah. the once in a lifetime adventure you know and i imagine that even the unexpected parts like maybe the longer flights or the airport waits or you know, when you don't get as much sleep or things like that, you probably dealt with them a bit better just because you're used to adventure. Like it doesn't really matter. You don't have a set schedule. You'll sleep outside. I imagine. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I'll go off topic for a second here, but it's funny. Cause even on episode one, nobody knows this. Like when we flew from St. John's to Vancouver, we got in and it was super late. Like I remember it was like one in the morning or something like that. And we had to go to the Capilano Bridge early that morning, like at 8 a.m. So Kenneth and I were like, I don't know if we can find a hotel. Like, I think we should just sleep in the airport. And we know a taxi is just going to be there at like, you know, in the early in the morning. So why don't we just bunker down right here? And then we can just get a taxi and go to the bridge in the morning. Like, let's not fool around and try to find a hotel right now. So that's what we did. And I remember our cameraman, Uh, oh but they're like oh shoot that means we have to camp out at this stupid airport (laughs) are you guys sure and we're like yeah yeah like we don't mind like we sleep in airports all the time like you know when we do a surf trip or like whatever like they're like you do realize that means we have to they were not happy (laughs) but for us it was like this is an easy decision yeah (laughs) even though looking back it was like i would not do that now it's like you got tons of time to (laughs) have a comfortable bed and get a good night's sleep that's so funny that's funny that you say luke and ryan because we put them through a special time as well because they were our crew in vietnam and we were with Anne and Tanya, the Italian moms, and together our crews were basically slipping in and out of consciousness, and they had to pause the whole race. And an ambulance came and collected our crews, and we had to wait for <laughs> replacement oh crews gosh. to come before we could continue. So <laughs> they oh might also gosh. not be huge fans of ours. I'm not sure. <laughs> Seven hours in the airport or, yeah, yeah, yeah. overheating yeah. and dehydrating in Vietnam. Those those crews. And then I'm sure if oh. they were ever with Natalie and Megan, which, I'm, which they were, I'm sure they were. They probably hated that too because Natalie and Megan, remember from season two, the Canadian totally. hockey players, they're in way too good a shape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. They'd just be sprinting like machines. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's up. funny. <laughs> no, but that's totally an advantage if you're comfortable just sleeping in an airport. Yeah. I mean, for us, it was kind of no big deal. It's just like, oh, we'll just, you know, find a good spot, quiet spot, and, and keep racing the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. But going back to why we initially got on the race. In my mind, I was like, I knew the application process was like coming up and it was the fall right before the winter. Kenneth was moving out to Roslyn for his first year. It was my second year there. And in my head, I was like, my best friend's coming out here. We're going to apply for the race. I'm just going to tell him as soon as he walks in the door, he's going to be happening. <laughs> and that's literally what happened. I was like, Kenneth walks in. I was like, dude, I got this sick idea. Like, we should apply for the amazing race Canada, dude. It would be this it's like the best time to do it. Like we just need to do it. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, dude, let's do it. And he was like, okay, man, I'm down. Like, let's just, <laughs> let's, let's make an audition video. Let's make it happen. And I was really, yeah, that was it. <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. What were you feeling like at that run up into the prep, getting everything ready, planning your lives to be away, non-disclosure agreements and trying to get your life set so you can be away for five weeks. What was that like for you? Oh, it was intense. It was so exciting. We hear the news in my office at Red Mountain oh. while I was working, oh. and we freaked out. Like, <laughs> I remember, like, we ran out of the trailer. Not that we were, like, telling people that we were on, but we started running around the base area of the resort screaming and just, like, frothing huge. <laughs> and then I was, like, on the phone with my mom, on the phone with my dad, on the phone with my brother, my sister. Like, it's like, we're doing it. <laughs> we were a little scared by the uh, $1 million non-disclosure agreement. So we only oh, yeah. told my parents and one sibling for like childcare purposes. And we lied to everybody else. Yeah, it's a pretty scary agreement when you say like, if, if this gets it leaked. And it's, it's to anybody. My dad was so paranoid. He was like, if we'd be talking about it in their yard, he's like, we'd even say the word amazing, not even related to it. And he'd be like, shh, shh, let's go inside. Let's go inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when I told my immediate family, I was like, okay, like, 
you can't say anything to anyone. You're like the only people I'm telling. <laughs> what did you do to prepare for The Amazing Race in those weeks leading up? It was so cool. We came home to Collingwood. I think it was, a, I can't remember if it was a week or maybe even two weeks before the race. I think it was just a week actually. And obviously there were some people that knew we were on the race. So like one of our best friends, Allie and Spencer, they made up mock races for us. Oh. So like Kenneth and I, and it was like a full day thing. We were up against my brother and my sister, Johnny and Katie, and we did a mock amazing race Collingwood. And they set up these like legit, it felt like we were like on the race too. And there was physical challenges. There was mental wow. challenges. There was a lot of running challenges on the beach, challenges at McDonald's challenges, like just all <laughs> over the place. My sister also set up one for us in Toronto. So me and Kenneth were literally running down around downtown Toronto, like all over the place. Wow. Uh, backpacks on, you know, like as if we were like on the race. Yeah, kind of thing. smart. I bet people who saw you and, and thought it was legit recording at that moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're probably looking around for John and any other racers. <laughs> yeah, totally. What would you do differently if you were to do it again? If anything. How, if anything, how, how would you prepare? Or what would you tell others to do to prepare? Because I also feel like your lifestyle in general is just preparation for the amazing race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so too, for sure. I'm not much of a runner, eh? I like to like sprint and like do like bursts of energy, but like in terms of long distance stuff, yeah. whereas Kenneth, he did cross country running throughout high school and uh. like his cardio was really, really good. So I made that a standpoint being like, okay, we need to do long runs we did a lot of navigation stuff too, like legit, just like with maps. We knew before the race that I was going to do all the driving and Kenneth was going to do all the navigating. And that was kind of, I always called Kenneth like the worst driver ever. So I legit didn't allow him to drive. And he was totally fine with it. He was totally fine with it. But like anytime I was in a vehicle with Kenneth, it was a scary situation. <laughs> so you had to be the driver. Literally, he fell asleep on me like numerous times while driving. I'd catch him back. Kenneth, for oh, sake, no. like, dude. <laughs> What's the matter, Ryan? Just a quick snooze. <laughs> so yeah, we did some navigation <laughs> stuff. And then our season was Canada 150. So oh, right. we had a good feeling that there was going to have a lot of Canadian history type challenges and stuff like that. So I remember my mom bought me a book. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like, I think it was a kid's style book, but it was good. Like Canadian facts and stuff. Yeah, it had a lot of good information. What was the question on the race that you guys had that you tossed up the answer is Celine Dion? <laughs> Who wrote the Canadian National Anthem? Oh. <laughs> well, if the question was who sings it the most beautifully, then the answer would most certainly be Celine Dion. Yeah, totally. That, that was one of the funniest moments for sure. Like he was one of the answers and I was like, that was the only name I recognized. I was like, Celine Dion and I just will never forget Ken's reaction. Like, no, dude. Like, not a chance. Hard no. <laughs> Oh, really but um, yeah, as you were saying, Lowell, like would we change much else going into, I don't know. I feel like we trained pretty good, honestly. Just listening honestly. to you list all the things that you did, like we didn't have time to do any of that. Like we just literally had to pull our lives together enough so that we could leave, like with kids yeah. and our jobs. And so we didn't do any of that type of prep right. stuff at all, did we? No, it was physically. We I mean, were, we were, we're kind doing of our physical exercise. And, just stuff we always did. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of it really was trying to get our lives in order to leave for five weeks with kids and, and totally. work and trying to figure that all out. Yeah. You guys got a lot more responsibilities than a couple ski bums that finish <laughs> off the ski season early April and then have, you know, a couple weeks to just focus on race training before we start <laughs> no i love hearing your perspective though that's uh that's how the other side live lol <laughs> yeah but i would i would pack a lot less oh yeah right i think mm. that's the overpacking of uh, you see everybody at the beginning with their big huge backpacks and all the extras and yeah just did you guys have wash and folds in your season like did they wash your clothes for you or no yes they did yeah we did too had i known that i would have brought like one pair of pants one pair of shorts one shirt one tank top a rain jacket and some toiletries yeah totally like i think we knew that going into it i'm pretty sure and that was one key thing for us too like we were bringing our ski touring backpacks which were like 30 liter backpacks like pretty slim you know mm -hmm. and 
I think we packed really, really well. And when we showed up, I, mean, I remember seeing Corino Vana in like their 70 liter backpacks. And I'm like, Whoa. good luck. Oh my God, we're not backpacking around the world for a year. Like, you guys are gonna be all right. <laughs> and were they? Did they ditch any of their yeah, luggage? I think they managed. I think they threw some stuff out midway through. Though, I'm yeah, sure. I think that's pretty common that the teams you bring a lot, they just realize fairly quickly that, wow, every taxi you have to get in and out of, every airport, like everywhere you're going, all that any, weight you're running with. Any little sprint to a challenge or to the mat, that weight counts. Totally. It was a pretty easy decision for us to like, yeah, bring our ski turn backpacks, pack light. We had about 10 pounds of potential visual aids and stuff for Lowell so that we couldn't really yeah, my, just ditch yeah. that. Canes and different glasses and thanks to Reek. And high-powered headlamps, but then also power adapters for other countries in case we, you know, because we didn't know where we were going. Totally. But also... The first opportunity I had was at the Calgary airport on our way to Vietnam. I bought a book, like a novel, because I hate not having words to read at night. And right. uh, I made Lowell lug that around the whole time. I'm like, we're not giving... I read it about 25,000 times. But I'm like, we're not getting rid of this unless I can swap it for another book. I just packed this big novel around the whole trip. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember, well, one of the big things that took up a lot of room in my backpack, at the time I was wearing contacts. I have laser eye surgery now, Ooh. but I'd only wear one day contacts too. Okay. So like I'd have just boxes. Oh no. So favorite destination or favorite challenge on the race? Anything stand uh, out? Favorite destination. Where did you guys get to go? What overseas places did you go? Overseas, we got to go to the Great Wall of China. Oh, right. Which is awesome. So Beijing and Shanghai. We got to go to Bangkok, Thailand, which was awesome. I love awesome. that. And uh, Panama as well. Oh, wow. All those places were just awesome. I found it crazy that we got to do an episode in the Kootenays, like where we live, you know, mm. in Castlegar and, and Nelson. No other team knew what Castlegar oh. was. Like in the airport, they're like, you guys ever heard of Castlegar? Like, they didn't know how to say it. And we're like, they're like, you guys live in BC, right? You must have been there. Like, yeah, yeah, we've been there a couple of times. Kind of no, kind of heard, heard about it. <laughs> like, yeah, we pass by Castlegar like all the time. <laughs> One of my favorite places is probably Newfoundland. I love like Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. My grandma's from Newfoundland. She has like the kind of a tangy accent. I've always like feel like I vibe with these coasters. Yeah. Well, you guys got along well with Courtney and Megan, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Courtney and Megan, oh, they're beauties. Uh, favorite challenge? Honestly, any of the physical challenges were my favorite. Like any of like the scary, gnarly stuff. Yeah, yeah this is not surprising to hear. <laughs> the tightrope in Vancouver was super fun. Uh, and the surfing challenge in Bangkok, we both got that on our first try. That was super fun. Oh, fun. And then the last episode, when I got to climb down the waterfall there in Quebec City, down Ooh. the cargo net up again. Yeah, like right. me and Corey were head to head on that. And that was pretty sweet. That's so fun. How tall is Corey, by the way? Oh, Corey's huge. Because he looks huge beside Ivana. He just looks like a big teddy bear. But I didn't know if that was just, if just she's just really tiny. I don't know. <laughs> He is a big teddy bear. He's got to be like 6'5 or something like that. Like he's a tall guy. Oh, wow. What a beauty. I miss Corey. I would love to catch up with him. Funny story about Corey. When we were in Toronto, like doing our week of training or whatever before the race at the Fairmont, when we couldn't like talk to all the teams. And sequester yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sequester week. Yeah, we, we had breakfast down there the first morning and he was in line in front of me and Kenny. And the first words that came out of his mouth he asked for a dozen eggs, a dozen egg whites. And, and I was like, oh my God. I'm like, I look at Kenny, I'm like, I hope he doesn't eat us, man. It's like, crazy. Give him his eggs before he eats us. Yeah, yeah. Like, so. That's intimidation. That's a good tactic. Yeah, I told Matt. He thought it was so funny. I'm like, I mean, you guys are like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Right. In that same hotel, we got like our 30 minutes down at the gym. And we were down there split up with, with the moms, Anna and Tanya. And at that stage, I'd been going pretty well on my fitness and working out. And I think I had just jumped on to the chin-ups. did like 25. And I something. did like 25 chin-ups in a row. And, and uh, they were looking <laughs> they at me go like, They told us that after. Whoa. They're like, there's no way. And then on the first leg, one of the challenges was doing the monkey bars under the Sky Tram in Jasper. And he was totally fine strength-wise. It was just his vision that got in the way. And so yeah. he ended up slipping at the end. And because the bars were so rickety. Anyways, yeah. after, after he fell, Anna and Tanya are like, 
He fell. He did 25 chin-ups. There's no way we can do this. <laughs> oh my gosh. So 25 chin-ups. That's pretty impressive. So, so there's those like moments you try to intimidate the, uh, the competition from you, the beginning. You and, weren't trying though. I don't know. Were I was you? crouch. You, oh, were you? you? Throw out a oh, geez. Extra. This you is throw out new information extra. for me. And then, uh, <laughs> totally. Yeah. That was kind of like for me at the final episode when me and Corey were going out head to head on the cargo net. Yeah. Like I, I've worked at like ropes courses before and all that. And just like, feel like I'm a monkey. In my head, I was like, there's no way you're getting me here, dude. Like, <laughs> you might be way bigger yeah. and way stronger, but, yeah. like, let's go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was the hardest part of the race for you? When was the lowest point? I mean, oh, this is, like, digging man. into the archives because this was, what, four years ago for you, right? Yeah, totally. Doesn't that yeah. seem like forever ago? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, a couple low points. I guess I got two ones that were pretty intense. First of all, episode of Nelson was super intense. That was the third episode. I had lived there for college. And me and Kenny lived there for actually a couple months before we moved to Revelstoke. So I know that town like the back of my head. But we were giving her too hard. Like we were just, uh, you know, like not slowing down enough and reading her clue and giving ourselves a moment before darting off into the challenge. So we screwed up a lot in that episode. Like we screwed up with the coffee challenge. We screwed up making the hooks when we were, you know, blacksmithing and trying to make those hooks. And we were like this close to getting kicked off in that episode. It was like a three team race to the finish line at the, the very end there. That was a huge eye opener. Like we ended up having to use our express pass right. to get the bypass the blacksmith challenge to go to see John on the mat. And I'll never forget that night. Like I was not happy. I mean, we were both just like not happy with ourselves. Just kind of like we got close. back to the hotel. And I just remember I was like, Kenny, like we got to switch things up, man. We got to slow down. Like we're trying to give her way too hard. If we keep doing this, we're going to get kicked off. And honestly, from that point forward, we just started getting better and better mm. and just, you know, just Focusing. improving, knowing when to shut it down and when to turn it up. So what was the lesson in that, the mindset to overcome that? I don't know if it was really a mindset thing. It was just like knowing that we both just need to stop. Mm. There's times to go and there's times to stop. Right. And we just made it a thing to be like, okay, whenever we rip open a clue, we're just stopping for a second. Right. We're, we're reading it. We're understanding it. We're making sure we both understand it. And then we're going to start going because we know we're fast, but we yeah. need to know what we're doing yeah. before we right. do it. That's a good life lesson. Yeah. Hey, so self-awareness. Yeah. Huge life lesson. Especially for me. Like, I mean, I'm just the kind of guy that's just like, go, go, go. I have trouble stopping and yeah. relaxing and reflecting. And I got to try to give myself more yeah. me time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So since the race, have you slowed down and kind of reflected on that and thought, okay, slow it down. Take a minute. Yeah, no, I have for sure. That's Definitely. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely. Bring in more of that intentionality into life. When do we go? When do we slow down? Exactly. Trying to be present in it all. Totally. It's a big lesson. It sounds like you had to implement. And then how to communicate with the people you're doing the journey with, with Kenny on the mm -hmm. race and now with your girlfriend and others in life, just really having to communicate when things are hard and when things are good. It's huge. Definitely. Definitely. I've learned a lot over the last couple of years, you know, like I had really had to take a step back last year and just kind of take a break. I wasn't working at Red Mountain last year. I needed to just to get away from everything and COVID on top of that. And it was a struggle, but I mean, it was also a blessing at the same time because I could just, you know, chill out for a bit and reflect on my life and reflect on my path and my future mm -hmm. and everything and connect with the people that mean a lot to me and, and family and everything and kind of reset for the next chapter type thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you said there are a couple hard times. That was... The one that that first time yeah that was one of them and then i guess another tough time on the race it's probably semi-finals the one beauty thing with kenneth and i is like we never got on each other's back you know what i mean that's just the that was the nature of our friendship of our relationship like we never really like got pissed off at each other and like didn't talk to each other we knew when to give each other some space and we just were good at reading each other and vibing off each other. So like, there was never really a problem that we brought each other down. Sure, like he would make a mistake, I would make a mistake, we would realize that, but we didn't let that affect us. We just kept motivating each other and encouraging each other and moving forward. 
Yeah. That's what we do in, in our everyday life. So like, that's what's going to make us get to the end of this race. So that was never really an issue, but semifinals, I guess probably the most frustrating challenge was with the alpacas. Mm. That was in Sault Ste. Marie. I just was in Sault Ste. Marie two days ago, camping there actually. <laughs> but, had some flashbacks. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> the alpacas, because it was a semifinals and our goal from the get-go was, was to make it to the finals. Uh like whatever happens in the finals happens but like our ultimate goal is is to make it there and we did that challenge with the alpacas trying to get them through an obstacle course and they just so stubborn when you don't have full control that's hard for me yeah they just didn't want to go through the course and we had to end up switching out alpacas i think we switched out a couple different times and finally got it all the other teams were ahead of us and i thought we were done Mm. But thank gosh, the challenge after was a face-off. Yeah. And it was the oh, croco curl. Oh, good. And then we were like, okay, well, it's game on yeah. now. Like, let's go. That's such a hard thing about the race, though, is the luck part. And if you get yeah. if you get a bad cab experience or an alpaca that's stubborn or something, you could have been out of the race that day because of that animal that you didn't have any control over. And I mean, so many people have stories about that with cab drivers too, and they get them lost or whatever. Yeah. Luck is such mm-hmm. a huge thing. So other than it the is. alpaca, it sounds like you had it on your side most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You made it to the last yeah. leg, so. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. A theme we've noticed in almost every team we've talked to, there are moments of what if. What if? Oh, dude. What, what is, what, dude what, what, don't what? even get me on the what if program. I'm not a what if yeah. kind of guy. You know, it's funny. I was talking about what if with my girlfriend Leia the other day. I'm like, you can say what if for so many things in your life, mm-hmm. like so many aspects of your life. But like at the end of the day, what's the point? You know, like on the last episode, the biggest thing was when Kenny and Sam were up top and they were looking over the city and seeing the flags and Kenny saw the university flag, which is the same colors as the race flag. And that was the big turning point Mm -hmm. in that final episode. That was the huge, huge turning point. And I knew as soon as we got to that flag and we looked up in my heart, I didn't want to believe it, but I knew we weren't going to win. And it was tough. It was Mm -hmm. really, really tough. Sure, yeah, you could say, what if? What if we followed Sam and Paul's taxi Mm -hmm. to the flag that they saw? Yeah. Yeah. You could just go on and on and on, but I don't like to go down that road. Well, then you took that message, and that was kind of the topic that you shared in your speaking with Kenny, right? About you don't always have to be first, it's okay to be second? Totally, yeah. I mean, that was one of the big topics when we went around and did our motivational giver speech to bunch of schools the winning attitude it's not about you know being the champions and being on top it's about the experience and the attitude that you bring Mm -hmm. towards being there and giving her giving it all you got and like at the end of the day you put it all out there you have to be proud of yourself you have to appreciate the effort that you put in it's not always going to go your way you're going to lose way more than you're going to win in life yeah I mean, even in tree planting, I was just telling Leah, after a big day, I would always like have a moment where I'd be walking for dinner at our camp and I would literally pat myself on the back, man, good job today. Let's keep it going. I would literally say that out loud. Affirmations. Those are little things that I I need to do to myself and I need to reassure that you're doing what you can, bro. Mm -hmm. Let's Mm. keep pushing forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'd rather fail at trying to live the best version of me, living the best life I can than fail doing nothing. Exactly. Then letting life slip me by and then feeling like failure that way. If I fail shooting to Mars, at least I hit moon, right? Like there's, there's a <laughs> totally. sense of let's just try to fall forward and fail forward and keep moving and know yeah. that if you're in a competitive race, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. But really, what is that process and what are you learning from that journey and what are you taking away? And going back to that, what if? A lot of human suffering actually is caused by the would have, could have, should have, those shoulds, oh. right? I should have known, I should have done this, I should have done that. And we become shitheads, <laughs> and we're not, we're not actually like living. Don't shit on yourself yeah, and don't, don't shit on others. We got to stop shitting on each other because the sense of <laughs> I should have this known. This is a family friendly podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like saying you get lost in the mountains, you're backpacking and you get lost and you look at the map and say, well, we should be here. That doesn't help you at all, right? We should have taken a left there. We should have, but that doesn't help you in where you're at now. It's, it's the clear identification. Where are we? What is reality? Accepting reality, the sooner you can get to that acceptance, then you can make a plan for the next step forward. Totally. You nailed it, man. Like, that's, that's it. That's it. 
you have to think in that way. And that's the only way you're going to move forward and figure out your next step. Yeah, that's what we did. And that's why it was just such a blessing going around and talking to the kids in all these different schools. And man, that experience, like, it was just insane. We filmed a lot of our speeches. I look back at them every so once in a while and tear up trying to pass all that on to the kids man because yeah. i remember when i was growing up and trying to figure out all these things and i remember some people coming into our high school and giving us motivational speeches and i just remember getting tingly feelings like listening to it and like that's the kind of feelings i wanted to give to the kids uh, would you do solo speaking yeah i think i would i've always loved speaking and delivering speeches and I was the valedictorian of my college and my elementary school. And I've always loved sharing my passions and my energy and my love for life with everybody else. Well, you have a very authentic passion and it radiates. So Mm. it does make you a natural speaker. Thanks. One of the angles, or I guess the main angle, the title of our podcast is (laughs) Obstacles and Opportunities. What does that mean to you? And what would you share to kids who are going through struggles, the hardships, the obstacles in their lives? What is the Ryan message? Oh, the Ryan message. Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, it's the giver message, man. We all run into hardships. It's just digging deep inside of you and pushing through it and really like making a game plan and just visualizing yourself on the other side and where you want to be. Man, I've had to do a a lot of this over the last couple of years and just falling into depression. And I mean, like, this is something I've never experienced in my life. I've always been, you know, super positive guy looking on the bright side of life and all that. But it's just been inside of me, like, you need to keep going. You need to get out and smell the fresh air and talk to people. Like, I mean, that was huge for me as I need to, I knew and I like really needed to pick up the phone and talk to my mom and talk to my brother and just push through it. Mm -hmm. I've always been a huge believer in following your passions. Cause like, I know when I'm out there skiing or mountain biking or surfing, I mean, I'm huge in sports, like really just, just doing anything. I know that when I'm doing those kind of things, like I am a hundred percent in the moment and it's hard to be in the moment and every opportunity I can get to get myself in the moment and being present and then being present with the people in front of me, I, I know I need to do that. And I know I need to force myself to do that. Not just think about it, like go out and actually do it. Yeah. And did your mindset and perspective of giver, was that reinforced after Kenny passed? Yes, a hundred percent. It was tough. I didn't want to give her up. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want like all this attention again. And like, I know everyone that reached out, like it was all very heartfelt and everything. But at the same time, I didn't want to do anything. But I knew deep down inside, I mean, like, this is you, man. This is you. Like you are the giver guy. You need to keep this going. What would Kenny want you to do? Like, what's he saying to you right now, bro? Yeah, he's saying give her, man. He's saying like, go out there, keep pushing forward, keep inspiring the kids. Like, keep living the dream, keep traveling the world, keep meeting amazing people. Like yeah. this is why we, you know, shared this bond and like yeah. did all the amazing things. And like, you know, the best things I've ever done in my life were with mm. him. So it's like, you gotta keep doing them, you know? So you feel it in your heart. He's still with you and everything you do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a big reason why, you know, started the team giver foundation and got to kickstart that last year during COVID and, and then focus on his passions mm. being cooking and skiing and support kids that, you know, want to get into those two things and creating initiatives to support them and to get them there and for them to chase their dreams. How can people support the Team Giver Foundation? On our website, teamgiver.ca. Go on there and uh, we talk about what the foundation's all about and um, you can donate on there. Get cool swag. I'm wearing my shirt now. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I got some big plans in the works for this year, just coming out of COVID and being able to bring people together again and events are starting back up. I mean, I'm going back to Red Mountain Resort to run all the events up at the ski hill and looking to do my own foundation event up there and just going to keep the stoke alive. Mm. Awesome. Well, we hope to visit you there someday soon, which reminds me, our boys each had a question for you. So one of their questions was, what's your favorite ski trick to do? Probably a big three, a big 360 over a cliff. Sounds like a rush. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Backflips are pretty fun too. I haven't really done many other than I got back into them last year and just did a, just did a bunch one day. And I was like, dude, we got to integrate these into like every powder day. Like, come on. 
Uh, but my favorite trick in the train park has always been a switch seven, a switch 720. What is a switch 720? You go off the jump backwards. Okay. And you do two 360s in the air and land backwards again. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you ever compete freestyle or any yeah, skiing? Yeah, I, com- I competed here in Ontario. Yeah. <gasps> on the park and pipe team at blue mountain. And I was on the Ontario team for a season. I've done some free ride events like at red. I've done a couple there, you know, when we run our big Canadian open, not um, too much. I just like just sending it on powder days. That's so fun. And then our other son's question was how fast do you think you can get on your skis? Oh, how fast. Wow. Your speed? <laughs> oh, I never timed myself this year. There's actually a lot of my friends that timed themselves uh-huh. down some of the crazy steep runs at red. I mean, I know I can ski over a hundred kilometers an hour. Wow. I mean, that's fast. Like, <laughs> oh, that's yeah, fast. That's I don't know. I'll fast. have to, I'll have to time myself this year, this season, and then I'll let you know. report back. Thank you. Yes. We'll appreciate it. Yeah, I'll that. report back. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in Collingwood right now. Will you see Kenneth's parents? Yeah, for sure. Can you tell them hello from us? Yeah, I will do. Will do. I'm going to drop in tomorrow. And oh, see perfect. Them. Oh, we enjoyed meeting them at Kenneth Memorial that you guys had in Roslyn. So awesome pretty special people yeah it was a great honor to be there with you and with Kenneth's family and to just see the love and care that so many people had for him and one of the main tasks of grief is we take the essence of the individual we love and we continue to live it out in our own lives as you incorporate his love for culinary arts, for skiing, for giving life to the fullest, that you incorporate these core messages, keep living them out, and we keep Kenneth's memory alive in that way. Totally. Yeah, thanks, Lowell. Thanks for the work you're doing with the foundation and for the message you have, and even for your vulnerability today, right? Speaking about the struggles, the grief, the loss, the depression. How do we pick ourselves back up from a really, really hard time in life? And you connected deep down into your core. And that yeah. helps us get through those difficult times. You have so much ahead of you. So yeah. much love, so much care, so much to offer this world. And we're excited to see you living with your passion. Sounds like you found yourself a female version of Kenny and Leah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. I so appreciate all those kind words, guys, honestly. It means a lot. Looking forward to the future. And I can say that I'm in a happy place now. And uh, good. I'm looking forward to uh, keeping Giver alive and spreading that energy. Well, it's alive in our home, so. Awesome. <laughs> love it. If there was one thing you could say to Kenny, what would you want to say? Oh, that's big. Uh, I'd say I love you, man. And I would just say I miss you. Wish you were here, but I know you're looking down on me. Mm-hmm. And I know you're with me in everything I do. I'm going to keep communicating when I'm dropping in and, yeah. and skiing a big line and biking. I just say, I love you, man. And what do you think he'd say back? He would say, I love you, bro. And keep giving her, keep living the dream. As we used to always say, keep oh. living the dream. I would tell Kenny that the giver message is in very good hands with you, Ryan. Mm. <laughs> Thanks. Keep living the dream, Ryan. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Well, thank you so much for taking the time mm-hmm. to chat with us today, Ryan. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity and bringing me on. I'm loving your guys' podcast. I've only listened to the John Montgomery episode, but it was <laughs> awesome. He's such a legend. I just, He's a legend. Oh, I love, I love you should listening listen to uh, Natalie Spooner too. It's, yes. it's like, it's more race stuff. Yeah. And Sarah Wells. Oh, yeah. Sarah Wells. And Hal and Joe from Amazing Race. Cool. It's been fun. Well, you guys are killing it and you guys are really good at it. And I mean that the Aww. conversation's great. The energy is great. Well, thanks. Well, it helps to have incredible guests like yourself. Mm-hmm. So in fact, that is <laughs> the whole, <laughs> that's the whole reason why it's successful. Yeah. So <laughs> we're very happy to share your message, to serve the audience. And selfishly, we get to meet and talk to really cool people and <laughs> that we knew you before. It's really a, a deep honor to go a little bit deeper and have this special time. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys. And look forward to skiing with you. We keep talking about it, but I want to ski with you guys and the kids. Oh yeah. The boys can't wait. We need to make it happen. Whether it's at Red or Castle, we need to make it happen. I will have hot chocolate at the <laughs> the lodge when you do a snowboarding with the boys. Thank you for babysitting. And yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, okay. Thanks again, Ryan. Have a great day. Yeah, you guys as well. Cheers. All Bye. the best. Okay, take care. Give her. Give her. Ryan LaChapelle. A man of passion and a man who lives large, living life to the fullest. Yeah, I, it's funny that I just said his last name. It sounded weird for me to say that because in our phone, he's Ryan Giver. <laughs> <laughs>
His last name is Giver. He also has a, a legitimate last name, but a <laughs> surname. But yeah, Ryan and Kenneth from Amazing Race Canada, they lived this life so in unison for such a long time and sharing lots of moments. And then Kenneth passing away suddenly and then Ryan having to pick up the pieces and go deep into his heart to find his way through the grief. We often talk about grief being something that has to be experienced. There's no shortcuts. You have to go through it. The only way out is through. And he's been going through it by connecting to the meaning behind his life, the meaning behind the connection, and those messages that Kenny and him connected deeply on. We definitely hope to get out and ski with Ryan. Ryan's in his element when he's skiing. One of the messages we talked about today with Ryan, this idea of presence, sometimes we need to slow down. We get so caught up in the rush of life. It can be the rush of amazing race and the tasks and everything else. We lose perspective. So sometimes slowing down, really evaluating our values, evaluating our priorities, seeing if we're living by those, and being able to be present and communicate about that. So a good reminder to all of us to slow down in our lives, reassess your priorities, and communicate those with your loved ones and make sure you're going down the right path together. Yeah, it's kind of cool the life lessons one can learn from being part of a TV show. He also reacted pretty strongly to uh, the what-ifs, <laughs> um, which is great because it's, it's so common in life to be stuck in the what-ifs, yeah. would-haves, could-haves, should-haves. And if we can let that go and just move to radical acceptance of what is, what has happened, where are we now, and from there, we can make our path forward and not get stuck in what could have been or what should have been instead of what is and what is going to be. So another episode down. Thank you, everybody, for following along. And right now we are in between the amazing Olympics and the amazing Paralympics that are coming up. Yeah, we took a little time off. If you notice a little episode break there, we were at my sister's cottage in Quebec. So we're back. Enjoying some family time, yeah. enjoying watching a lot of Olympics, and now we're really gearing up for the Paralympics. The Cycling Canada team did really well in able-bodied, and they're going to do incredibly well in the Paralympics. So make sure you're tuning in to the Paralympic Games. Pay attention, follow along the incredible stories of these athletes in the Paralympics. They have all overcome something really hard in their life, and the stories are very motivating and inspiring kind of why we started this podcast. Also, in case you missed the memo, Lowell will not be competing at the Tokyo Paralympics. He and his pilot Ed have only been together since late 2019 and every opportunity for them to qualify was canceled because of COVID. Not to worry though, they continue to enjoy and embrace the process and will now aim for Paris 2024. Yeah, we have lots of incredible racing to come nationals coming up in september and then there's going to be more world cups and world championships commonwealth games pan am games and then the uh, paris 2024 paralympics so that's the the big push for the next three years lots to come and again taking the things we've learned from the obstacles and our journey here and feeling the feelings grieving the loss of not being at the paralympics but being able to cheer on all the incredible athletes who are going so Kudos to our teammates and to all those who did qualify. Go Giver. We'll put it in the show notes as well, but Ryan's Instagram handle is at Ryan Giver and the website to support the Team Giver Foundation is teamgiver.ca. 12 of Kenny's friends and family will be thinking about you as the second anniversary of his passing is coming up. Our hearts are with you and we're grateful for the legacy he left. Continue to take those lessons he left you with and live them out in your lives. All right, everybody. Thank you for being on this journey with us. Until next time. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.